electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Chris Verone. Tonight on Fast, a barrage of big-name earnings just hitting the street. We'll bring in the trades on all of these mega after-hours movers. Plus, a pair of retailers topping the tape today will tell you what sent shares of Target and Costco to new all-time highs. And later, Chris Verone says this industrial stock is building up a breakout. What he is seeing in the charts, that's got him feeling so bullish. But we start off with a big earnings alert on Disney shares going positive after initially dropping on the results. Julia Borson's got all the details on the company's quarter. Julia. Well, Melissa, lower than expected revenue, but stronger than expected bottom line results. Those earnings of eight cents per share were rather than the loss of 64 cents per share that analysts had been anticipating. That was because of lower production and marketing costs. Now, what's really driving Disney higher now, it's up almost four and a half percent, is that news that Disney is embracing its direct relationship with consumers, announcing it will offer Mulan to Disney Plus subscribers for an additional $30 on September 4th. It will also put that movie in some theaters that are open. Now, this is a dramatic move, dramatic change to Disney's distribution model in light of the pandemic. And it is sending theater chain stocks lower right now. We see um, Cinemark shares down over 4%, IMAX down 2%, and AMC Entertainment down over 1%. Now, Disney also announcing that it's going to build a new direct-to-consumer international streaming service, building on a bright spot in the quarter, which was Disney+, Plus, topping 60 million subscribers. It added more than 2.5 million new subscribers since the end of the quarter. Disney now has, in total, over 100 million subscribers across its direct-to-consumer businesses. Despite the challenges of the pandemic, we've managed to take deliberate, and innovative steps in running our businesses. At the same time, we've also been very focused on advancing and growing our direct-to-consumer business, which we see as our top priority and key to the future of our company. The impact of COVID was felt deeply, particularly at Disney's Parks Division. The company says it experienced a $3.5 billion net adverse impact in segment operating income due to COVID. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Uh, let's get the, our traders' take on Disney here. Uh, Tim Seymour, you've been an owner of Disney. What do you think of this quarter, especially the emphasis now on DTC and the streaming business? That seems to be one of the major reasons why the stock reversed. Well, I, I think there's mixed views on this. Our friend Tom Rogers is going to come on in a second, so I'm curious his view. But I, I think DTC uh, is a, an incredible opportunity for Disney. If you think about where they, they have the ability to bring uh, some of these studio releases straight in, the Mulan delay was not something that I think we were surprised about. This is a little bit more of a surprise, but, but ultimately this is about Disney+. Plus. This is about, first of all, that, you know, when we got the numbers, uh, when they first came out, we th- heard 57 and a half. Now it's 60 and a half if you count the first 
first part of the quarter. Uh, this is all great news. And, and if you think that they haven't even rolled out in Europe yet, that's September 15th. Latin America comes later on in the year. And, and the fact that we know baked into these numbers were down 85 percent in consumer parks and experiences. And we know that that's 40 percent of the business. And we know that that's going to come back. I don't know when. And, and it has been slower. And I think there's been some false starts with the rollout. But to, to question Disney on this, uh, I think, is, is to be looking at the wrong thing. The fact that they were, be, they were able to be a little bit more efficient on the margin, that they could eke out uh, uh, at least more profitability than expected, I think is good news. It's all about Disney+. Plus. What's the multiple you want to put on that? Look around the world. Look at Netflix. What's the multiple you put on that? That's my argument for, for Disney. I think the, qu the question, though, is should it all be about Disney+, Plus? when, as you said, Tim, parks are about 40 percent of the business. We know it'll come back. And you, you hit it on the head. We don't know when. So, Guy Dami, at this point, do you give Disney a free pass on 40 percent of its business, even though DTC is so sexy and appealing right now? doesn't matter what I, what I give it a free pass or not. The market seems to be giving it a free Should pass. Should one I mean, give a free Tim pass? Hit all the yeah, well, silly, Tim will hit all the salient points. I mean, close to a $5 billion loss. I mean, in terms of Disney Plus, and, you know, I've, this, I've looked at myself. Rich Greenfield's been tweeting about this. But, you know, their ARPU for the Disney Plus customers is down significantly. So to his point, and a point that Tom Rogers will probably mention, if you sort of give it away, that's going to be what's it's going to happen in terms of ARPU, which is going the wrong way. I understand they have to go this direction. I, they should have done Hamilton, quite frankly, at $30 because they probably would have scored with that. And as we get closer to September 4th, my sense is that 30 or 29.99 number is probably going to get cut in half. That's just me sort of guessing here. But typically, like we've seen before with Disney, the reaction right after earnings is lower. Uh, they do some jawboning in the aftermarket and it goes higher and the market's giving a complete pass, in my opinion. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's probably too soon to give them a pass. I mean, I think Tim brings up a great point. I mean, Disney Plus is the direct-to-consumer is the future. But right now, when you think about what's going on, I think Guy just mentioned it, that the uh, average revenue per user is down um, quarter over quarter, or excuse me, yeah, sequentially, 18%. So there's some funky stuff going on there. And I don't think the Mulan release at 30 bucks is going to help that too much, or at least help advance um, adoption of this product right now. So the way I think about it is this. you know. I think you would have liked to have seen them almost kitchen sink the guidance going forward and have investors kind of think back. Just listen, these guys are going to need two quarters. We have no visibility on when they're going to be able to reopen, right? We have no visibility on when we're going to have a vaccine. So the stock raging 4% in the after hours breaking out of this downtrend, I don't think it's particularly constructive. I think Verone will have some comments on that because I don't think the fundamentals are really lining up yet, especially when we're seeing everything make new all-time highs. I think investors are looking for things that they think can play catch up. This one's not there yet. This is going to take a little while. What do you think, Chris? Well, I think you have to like how the stock responded here after hours. I think it speaks to the idea that the bar was pretty low coming into this afternoon. You know, that 115, 116 area was just major support. And if we hold that, it looks like we're going to hold that and open tomorrow above 122. That was the July 15th high. I think that's a big step in the right way forward. 200 day comes into play about 123. You start to get above that, you look at 135, 140 again. Now, if you put this in context of the bigger picture, Disney's really been sideways for five years. No one's made any money here in five years. So I think the bigger question is, is a step in the right direction here, the start of a bigger, longer term breakout? Get it above 123 and then we'll talk.
All right. For more insight on the numbers, let's get to Tom Rogers, the aforementioned Tom Rogers, former NBC cable president and TiVo CEO. He's now executive chairman of Engine Media and a CNBC contributor, also a friend of the show. Tom, always great to speak with you. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I know that you're on with our friends over at Squawk this morning. You said the Disney earnings will be terrible. What What do you think with the stock up about 4%, 3% in the after-hour session? Well, I don't get too focused on these earnings for this quarter. Everybody knew it wasn't going to be a good quarter. Um, maybe it was a little bit better than uh, people thought it would be. Uh, but you still have the same question here. Is the decline in the traditional business going to be too weighty to overcome the, the growth in the, in the streaming new business? And so far, the uh, verdict on that is way out. Uh, you know, since Disney Plus uh, was announced, uh, the stock is down about 20 percent. Netflix during that time is up about 70 percent. I think Netflix has proved a lot about its model when it comes to streaming that Disney Plus has not proved yet. Yes, they've done very well in terms of additional subs. Uh, but uh, what kind of churn do we have here, particularly mm -hmm. when the free subs roll off? What type of engagement do we have, given the limited amount of original production? Uh, are we going to see anything with pricing power at all, given what churn and engagement look like? And so uh, there's a, 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 a verdict here that you can't render yet, and we're not going to know for a while. I will give them credit for the Mulan move. I think that is actually pretty interesting. They had to do something with this uh, movie. Obviously, they couldn't put it in the theater near term. So uh, not just charging $30, but charging $30 if you are a Disney Plus subscriber, if I understand that. So trying mm -hmm. to get a two for collecting at the uh, direct-to-consumer revenue and trying to drive Disney Plus subscribers at the same time. I don't think that's a formula for most of their big releases. They have too much to protect in terms of the theatrical window. Movie releases for Disney fuel the entire engine. That whole company, from theme parks to consumer products, etc., needs the big movie theatrical release. But for purposes of the hand they're dealt with right now, pretty creative. Can you make the argument, Tom, that what Disney Plus is right now is Netflix in the early days? I mean, Disney Plus, I understand your, your concerns and, and that the, it's way too early to, to cast some sort of verdict, but it reached its target for paid subscribers four years early, and it's already building a DTC international product, which is what Netflix is currently doing. I mean, it does seem like it, it's fast-tracking the streaming side of the business. Well, I don't think it's Netflix for a couple of reasons. First of all, Netflix doesn't have to worry about all the baggage that Disney has. And I don't just mean the COVID issues that it's dealing with. Yes, we know everything that they were hit with, and it was pretty bad. But coming out of COVID, they still have a mess on their hands. They're, they're, they're dependent in terms of their moody, move, media networks on the cable satellite bundle, uh, that's going to be dwindling down to 60 million, maybe below. There's nobody that's got more at stake there than ESPN and the Disney networks in terms of what they pull out of that bundle. Uh, they still have a mess when it comes to ratings, particularly in the kids sector, which has been harder hit with ratings decline than anywhere. With that comes advertising decline. They now have the added pressure of other competitors trying to collapse the theatrical window and allow people to think they can stay on their couch and not go to the movie theaters. So they have enormous baggage mess to get through coming out of this. They're also not Netflix because Disney Plus by itself 
is a narrow service. It's, it's kids and family, but it is not broad-based adult entertainment. And Hulu really looks like it is having some issues. It uh, has only half the subs as Netflix in the uh, North American market. Uh, but looks like it grew less than Netflix in terms of subs, which many thought North America was getting saturated for Netflix, and Hulu grew less. And so this uh, new, what sounds like adult international entertainment, which I guess is going to take the place of Hulu as a major national player, may be an answer that begins to build the, the, the blocks that, that Netflix has. But they got a lot of pieces together to put together to begin to say they got a model approaching Netflix. Tom, as always, it's amazing to have you on. You know what I think of you. The word that comes to mind, obviously, is stud. But my question is somewhat out of the box. We've talked about this on and off, but everybody's TikTok is on everybody's lips. I understand that Disney has a myriad of problems, and this is the last one they probably need. But in a calmer time, in a more normal time, would a company like TikTok make sense for Disney uh, to, to sort of insert in their platform? Uh, Guy, I think you put your finger on the uh, conversation that was missing across all the Microsoft TikTok news, uh, that uh, technology companies are, are after this and media companies are not. And the first thing that came to my mind is this where all the, the kids and uh, teens are going. Uh, that's the sector that uh, Disney uh, was all about. And uh, to the extent that it is not a player here, doesn't have the balance sheet, I don't think, to be a player after the Fox acquisition, uh, even without all the COVID issues it's dealing with. And I think that's another thing that the verdict's still out on, this Fox acquisition. Um, you know, they were, it was supposed to be about all this content that was going to fuel streaming business. What it's really done is opened up more exposure to the traditional linear television business. And if I was surprised by one thing, over COVID as it related to Disney is FX, their big adult brand that they're putting behind Hulu. When it came to everybody being at home and looking at the ratings there, their ratings in the key demo were down 17% in the quarter. So I think uh, uh, they haven't yet shown themselves to be masters of that acquisition. I think this was a bridge too far for them, even if COVID hadn't hit them. But it's the right question. Tom, always great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tom Rogers. All right, Tim, what would you ask on that conference call? Well, the, what I'm, I'm curious about is not only you know, what can they expect out of uh, their, their, their rollout in Europe and Latin America, but, but ultimately where they do think that they have an opportunity to expand their demographic. I think that is a critical point that Tom brought up. Um, I, I do think when you're, when you're an investor in Disney, and I, I would actually push back on the argument that they're, they're down 20% since they announced Disney+, Plus. I, I would argue that that was actually a catalyst to the stock beginning to re-rate going into COVID-19. Uh, in fact, stock went from 100 105 dollars up to 145 uh, but we all know why it's trading at 120 uh, and it was trading a lot lower it's all because of the consumer and the parks and the things that got this company going if it gets the least bit of a, of a netflix multiple it's very important i am worried about the balance sheet i am worried about the, the fox trans transaction in hindsight right now looks really poor uh, and they, 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 you know, they were involved in a bidding war at one point. They ultimately overpaid for the asset. So I do agree with that. But to look at the entirety of this franchise and look at their ability to at least own the demographic that they do own, I think that the, the, the streaming business is undervalued relative to a Netflix where the multiple doesn't matter and the company doesn't make money. So that's, that's why I like Disney. 
Chris, just quickly, how long does Disney or should Disney hold 123, the key level that you outlined, in order for you to be convinced that maybe we're on our way to some sort of a breakout? Because we're at 123 right now. Yeah, I think it's happening right now. And the fact mm -hmm. that against a very low bar, the stock has responded well, I think, is moving in the right direction. The next target here is probably 135. I think we push in that direction. And longer term, we ask, is this the start of a major breakout and a leadership phase? It's looking that way. All right. We've got another earnings alert for you. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the latest results from Nikola. Phil. Hey, Melissa, we knew that Nikola was going to report a loss, and it comes in at a loss of 16 cents a share adjusted. The expectation from analysts, about 13 or 14 cents a share loss, uh, also on an adjusted basis. The stock's not doing a whole lot right now, though we expected that we might see some movement uh, when the conference call began, which started, what, about 40 minutes ago. And a couple of things. They were asked about milestones and targets, and they were very clear about saying, look, we're not going to tell you exactly when all of these things will happen, but here are three things that investors can look for from Nikola before the end of the year. First of all, a commercial agreement on battery electric vehicles, a partner to manufacture the Badger electric truck, the electric pickup truck, which we'll have more about in just a bit, as well as a partner for the manufacturing, development and manufacturing of hydrogen stations. With regard to the Badger pickup truck and the interest that is there, here is CEO Mark Russell on the call just a few minutes ago talking about why they developed it and what he had to say what he had to say about the Tesla Cybertruck. We didn't intend to do anything with it until we saw the the Cybertruck. And a lot of people didn't like the look of the Cybertruck, <laughs> including me. I thought I think I think it looks like a doorstop. But uh, they got lots of reservations for it. Um and so there's, you know, more power to them. We're trying to, to get all, the whole world to zero, and it's going to take more than us. So we, give it, we cheer them on. But a lot of people didn't like the look of that thing. So Trevor just released the concept that we had for the pickup truck. And people just went nuts over it. I suspect we'll learn more about the Badger electric truck uh, within the next couple of months. Remember, they have Nikola World coming up. Trevor Milton, who is the founder and chairman of the company, he's going to be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning talking with David Faber and Jim Cramer. Uh, Melissa, one last note. A lot of questions about what's going to happen with the hydrogen fuel cell semis that they are ultimately going to build in Europe, then mm -hmm. ship to here in the United States. Their launch customer is Anheuser-Busch, and they expect to have prototypes to Anheuser-Busch so that they can start testing them out by the end of next year. But mass production and delivery, that doesn't happen until 2023. I'm going to hop back onto the call. We'll let you know if they have anything else. So we're quite a far ways off from manufacturing of, vehicle, of actual vehicles. And it sounds like, Phil, the, the few things that you had outlined that they say investors should look forward to, which is finding partners for various yep. components of their business, um, we knew that they were looking so yes, the fact did. that they're saying, look for this by the end of the year is nothing new. So they're basically giving investors nothing to hang their hats on at this there point. Is, there is nothing here that makes yeah. you say, wow, I, I mean, I've got to get a piece of Nikola right now. What they're saying is, trust us, we have yeah. a lot of things we're working on, a lot of people we're talking to, and we've got exciting things that are coming. But nothing concrete from this call that you would come away and say, OK, now we definitively see X, Y and Z. Phil, thank you, as always. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Um, the analyst line keeps going through my head who initiated coverage of Nikola, and I think it was initiated at a, I believe it was a sell or an underperform. Sounds more like a business plan than a business, Guy Adami, given what the stock has been doing. Yeah, and I think, 
And I'm sure, I'm sure back in the day when Tesla came out, a lot of there were people that said the same thing. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm only comparing it to Tesla in that, in that very specific example. But a couple things stick with me that July 17th, Friday after the close, secondary or whatever it was deemed to be that seemed to catch a lot. Listen, it seemed to catch the market off sides in terms of the way the stock performed. I think there's always the possibility that another secondary comes out. Uh, given their situation, so you have to be on guard against that. But this is a, this is one of those stocks where you're betting on that business plan, and if you're comfortable with it, and you think this is the future, maybe the risk reward sets up well. Obviously, there's a lot to be proven here. I don't think it's about earnings. I think Phil alluded to that. Uh, but in my opinion, there's always that that sort of Damocles that hangs over you. You like that use, yes, by the way? Yes, I do. In the form of a secondary or some sort of offering. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. It's, I mean, the, the, the images of swords uh, just flooded my mind. Um, the company, by the way, ended the quarter with almost $700 million in cash. We should remind people that they don't have manufacturing, so the cash burn is not as intensive as Tesla. This is a young company. Chris, can you chart this? What does a chart look like? Yeah, you absolutely can. And, you know, that's why... Uh, I think when you look at this, you have to consider it from a tactical sense. You rallied right back to 40 today. 40 is where the big gap is, where you broke down from. It fell there. We see that after hours. It's failing at 40. You also had a big downtrend come right into play near 40. So I think until you can reclaim that level, you can't own this. It has to show you that it's done making these lower highs. It's been making lower highs, I think, since the middle of June. Until it breaks that pattern, you just can't own it as a chartist. Wow. Show me on a fundamental as well as a technical level. Mm. All right. We're we're just getting started here on Fast Money, and the earnings keep rolling in. Up next, we'll break down results from Activision, Blizzard, Beyond Meat, and Win. Plus, we are going shopping. A couple of retailers talking the tape today and hitting new all-time highs. Those names and more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We got breaking news on Novavax. The stock is falling in the after-hour session. It had been down as much more than 20 percent, but now down 7 percent. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa, this has just been a whipsaw for this stock in the after hours. So Novavax putting out the phase one results from its COVID-19 vaccine trial that it ran in about 130 healthy people in Australia. Now, the top line results that they put in the press release at 405 essentially showed that the vaccine was well tolerated and generated an immune response. Essentially, every participant who um, had two doses, they all did, uh, generated neutralizing antibodies. Uh, then there were some confusing reports reports that suggested there were some hospitalizations uh, that turned out to be incorrect. So the company just starting their conference call now at five o'clock and the chief of research starting off the call clarifying that there were no hospitalizations seen in this study. And so that is why you were seeing that big plunge and then the recovery of the shares. Uh, But Mel, this has been a confusing data release. You know, there's been a lot of complaints uh, from the scientific community about the way biotech companies release these important vaccine data. This was 
was press released. We haven't seen the full data set. They're going through it now on the call, but not submitted or perhaps submitted to a journal, but not published yet in a journal in its entirety. So it makes it very confusing and difficult to go through these early results. And you will see so much stock volatility, particularly among these small companies. We have to remind everybody these are the earliest clinical trials, and they still have to get through phase three to prove that they work and that they're safe. Mel? Uh, Meg, just to clarify, so the press release, which I have in front of me, that has been released. But in terms of the full data set, that has not been released at all or has been released to certain people. Um, what are they exactly pouring over over the conference call or is it just Novavax Nova going over the results that they have and telling people about the results that have not yet been published? That is what's going on right now. Novavax is going over their own results in their slides. They had indicated mm -hmm. the full slides were going to be posted at 4.30, but nobody was able to find those on the website, or at least I wasn't. And we can't even get the whole slide presentation as they're going through it on the conference call. The company had circulated under embargo to journalists before uh, the press release a manuscript uh, that presumably they have submitted to a journal or would submit to a, a preprint server online, which is what you know Pfizer did as they were waiting for publication. But that manuscript didn't even seem complete. I uh, saw tables cited in the manuscript that then weren't uh, included, which mm. would have clarified what those safety issues were. So this data is just very confusing, Mel, and it, it's just dangerous. You know, on phase one, there's so much volatility, particularly for these smaller companies and, and more volatile stocks. Right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell with the latest on uh, Novavax and the crazy action in the after-hour session. Guy, Dami, mean, maybe this is a cautionary tale. We've got all these companies releasing such preliminary data and not even, actually, I back that up, releasing preliminary results that are not even backed up by published data yet. Moving stocks. Yeah, and, 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 and again, I don't know if it, tra I, you know, I've been trying to watch where this is traded. I have some indications that this stock in the after-hours on that there were hospitalizations uh, line, which proved to be incorrect. I think the stock traded as low as $105 or so. So, you know, think about this. If you're a shareholder in this name, for example, and you had a stop in the market and you got stopped out based on what proved to be an erroneous line in a news feed, I mean, that's problematic. So it doesn't speak to Novavax specifically. It speaks to a lot of what's wrong with this market. And I guarantee you there are people that have found themselves with a position, no longer have a position, and here the stock is, as last I'm looking, right back to $150. With that said, you know, if you back all that out, this was a $40 stock, I think, a few mm -hmm. months ago, trading mm -hmm. now 150 If you've enjoyed that ride and you see what can happen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking money off the table here. All right, coming up, shares of Activision Blizzard beyond meat and win all on the move in the after our session. We'll break down those earnings reports and later, Delivery delayed. The news that sent Walmart shares tumbling after hours. We've got a lot more Fast Money straight ahead. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're still in the heat of earnings season. Beyond Meat, Win, and Activision Blizzard all moving higher after hours. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down all of these names. Let's kick things off with Contessa Brewer on Win. Contessa. Uh, well, Melissa, what we're looking at here is a rough road for Win Resorts, in part because uh, we have Macau closed down. Let's face it, the real reason why they're having a tough quarter and missed expectations is that visitation just hasn't returned to Macau the way that they were hoping. After all, the casino was only closed for two weeks. Uh, given that the uh, revenue was down in Macau to $21 million, you had a situation where Las Vegas was pulling in three times the operating revenue as Macau was. That's unheard of. Wynn Resorts is a company that gets 75% of its revenue or thereabouts from Macau. On the call, CEO Matt Maddox points out these baby steps that China's taking toward opening its casino destination. It just started issuing visas to Chinese travelers, everyone but tourists. When that happens, Maddox says, hey, we'll be back in business. Until then, it's burning as much as $2 million in cash per day, and that's just Macau. Maddox also says his priority is maintaining some cash in order to protect that global luxury brand to preserve this culture of family that he's really worked hard. He's invested $75 million paying people uh, through these closures. He wants to protect that, he says. They've just furloughed their first round of workers in Las Vegas. That was a couple weeks ago. And Maddox says at this point, they've really got to treat Las Vegas like a super regional casino because all their customers are coming in from drive-in. They're running promos. They're doing partnerships. They're doing, and, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, we're doing everything we can to put heads in the beds in this hotel. Melissa? Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you think of when? I think, you know, this is another one of these stories. It's nice to hear that uh, the balance sheet pre preservation is a big part of the story. The fact that Macau, really since February, right, we, we, we started to see the recovery in Asia, uh, and then we started to see it, it peter out. So this has really been, uh, I think Contessa highlighted, this is the key to this story. But the cash burn is something that's critical. Uh, the stock has been kind of basing around 70 to 75 dollars and and ultimately i think that's really where you are i, I think there is long-term upside with this type of fiscal discipline in the balance sheet uh, not running in tomorrow uh, especially as regionally if you think about the the commuter element of who actually might be going in las vegas these days a lot of those states are now very hard hit i don't think it gets better in the short run mm. but i do think it does get better long term long-term investors will be rewarded but I think you are still waiting for a few more guideposts before you get in there. All right, let's get to Activision Blizzard now. Josh Lipton's got the latest. Josh. So, Melissa, I checked in with Andrew Erkwitz over to Oppenheimer. He called these numbers, in his words, ridiculously strong. There seems to be cushion 
for continued beaten raises. So why the lack of enthusiasm here, at least in the, in the after hours? Expectations were very high, he says. Stock did hit a 52-week high in today's trade. Heading into the print, it was up about 30% over the past three months. He says long-term investors, though, should see how mobile and free-to-play versions of games can greatly enhance earnings power for this company's key franchises. Another analyst did note to me, though, that the second-half bookings do look roughly flat year over year despite this momentum. So his point is that sounds conservative, but maybe some investors think it's not just sandbagging. On the call, CEO Bobby Kotick pointing out the company's broad pool of fans, 400 million players now and counting. Call of Duty, he says, saw a remarkable increase in scale. Talked about Warzone. That's that free-to-play Battle Royale version of Call of Duty. Over 75 million have played Warzone since its launch. We're about five months in there. Total time spent in Call of Duty, eight times higher, he says, than the year-ago quarter. The economic outlook is unclear, Bobby Kotick saying, but we should be on track to deliver great new content in the second half. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Uh, Dan Nathan, would you agree with the analysts' assertion that the earnings were ridiculous. Yeah, they were great. I mean, listen, it was a beat and raise. Um, and, you know, I think that comment about the second half bookings is pretty interesting. You know, this is a company whose sales and earnings declined year over year in 2019. So they've obviously been a huge beneficiary of the quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it. But when you look to the second half, you might think about, OK, maybe some demand was pulled forward. I think this price action is pretty rational. Like Josh said, the stock is up 30 percent in just the last three months. It's up 45 percent in the year. It trades at a pretty reasonable multiple. Um, but at the end of the day, I think investors are going to start pricing in what does deceleration from this very unusual time mm-hmm. look like, especially for a company that had might have already hit a growth speed bump prior to the quarantine. So to me, I think this one makes sense. I think you're going to have an opportunity to buy it lower, but I think it makes sense to buy it lower somewhere in the 70s. Chris, what do you think? I think this whole group is one of the great trends in the market. You look at Activision, Up through 86 the other day is a major breakout. I think any weakness post-earnings back to 80 is viable. But look at EA, look at Take-Two, the Japanese gaming names have all been on fire. This is a must-own group. This is a group move. Stay there if you're long. All right. Let's get to Aditi Roy now with earnings on Beyond Meat. Aditi. Hi there, Melissa. Leon shares are down about 7% as the company took a hit from the pandemic challenge food service channel. Now, sales from food service were down about 60 percent. The company did shift resources away from food service to retail. And while CEO Ethan Brown didn't give guidance, he did talk on the call about the COVID impact on food service. We see no fundamental issues related to our food service business itself or our strategy that would preclude us from returning to a strong growth trajectory once some level of normalcy returns. For the remainder of the year, however, we do anticipate that U.S. food service demand will remain soft relative to a year ago. And that switch from production lines dedicated to food service to retail led to repacking costs. That put pressure on the gross margin, which was down from about 33.8% to 29.7% year over year. However, retail channel net revenues were higher by 192% year over year. And Oppenheimer's Rupesh Parikh tells us, I think the trade-off is fine. You've got the strong sales growth and the margins are in line with the company's strategy of reinvesting. Brown also told CNBC we can expect Beyond to continue to go after traditional meat customers with lower prices in the future. Melissa, you might remember they rolled out those value packs 
over the summer. Yep. Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy, uh, the value packs, which brought the pricing down to about uh, $1.60 a patty. Guy Dami, I don't know how much you pay for your beef patties, but I think that they come in a little bit less. I don't know about competing on price here. And then there's the other aspect of saying, oh, we're going to return to normal when, when food service returns to normal. Well, we don't know when that is going to be either. Period. And, you know, when you came back, if you remember, you came back and thinking, well, you remember better than I do, but the <laughs> stock was meandering in the 80s, right? And mm -hmm. we talked about, I remember saying it, I said, look, I know what the product does to me without getting into great detail once again on a national TV show, but I like the stock and I thought it could trade back the levels we saw last fall. And we got, I think, up as high as 150 or so. I didn't think it was going that high. So now you have to ask yourself, where do you get back in the name? And it makes sense on a number of different metrics to look at that 120 level, which is sort of where we broke down from in February to be your reentry point for the stock. Uh, I don't know if it gets there, but it makes a lot of sense. Again, Product's not going anywhere. Whether I enjoy it or not, and what it does to my gastrointestinal system or not, doesn't really matter. It's here to stay, and you're looking for another level to get back in. This is really TMI. Chris, um, quickly on 120, that level that Guy was talking about. Yeah, I think that's too low. I think 130, 132 is the area where you want to kind of zone in here. That's been good support. You know, with this stock, it's been two steps forward, one step back. This is the one step back. Use it to your advantage. All right, coming up, building games. The one industrial name Chris Verone says is poised for a real breakout. And later, we're gearing up for earnings from a past from a fast favorite, excuse me, what option traders are expecting from Square when it reports tomorrow. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Industrials have been lagging the broader market this year, but Chris Farone says that's all about to change, and he's looking at one name that's primed to pop. Let's walk the charts. Chris, what are you looking at? Yeah, well, I think when we talk about the broader sector, you know, there's so much attention in this business focused on the FANG stocks, the tech stocks, that people are actually missing some improvements in the industrial sector. Now, as far as the broader sector goes, it's been consolidating in this very narrow range uh, over the last number of weeks. But, uh, but what I think people are missing is when you look at the average industrial stock, it's actually outperforming the cap-weighted construction of the group. So the average industrial issue is getting better. And I want to give you a few examples. I think the best one uh, really on our radar here is Deer. Now, Deer's been in this three-year range. It is starting to push up against that 180, 182 level. Above that is a clear breakout and a major, major shift for what really has been a lagger for the past two or three years. And I think with Deer, you then have to go and look at its peer, Caterpillar. Cat's at a very timely spot here. 130, I think, proves to be good support for the stock trades right now. You have the 50-day about to break up to the 200. So if this is going to work, the time is now. I think both of these names are going to be very, very telling about really the broader sector. And then you know, maybe a little underappreciated election in 90 days. These infrastructure stocks are quietly starting to act a little bit better. Jacobs, ticker J, I think uh, is a great example here. That has made a series of higher lows uh, over the last four or five months. That broke out today, getting above its June high. So a lot of these names are quietly starting to exhibit some strength. And then I think maybe one of the most important groups in this sector overall are the air freight stocks. I think UPS is the best uh, example of this. Clearly it's broken out already, but what I think is most important, the relative strength, its performance versus the S&P is really starting to improve. I think this is a game changer. I think UPS is gonna be a leader for years to come. I think this entire sector is getting better and people aren't paying enough attention to it. Dan, any of these names uh, strike your fancy? 
Well, listen, when I look at the chart of the XLI, I see what Chris sees, but I also see a lot of components that act downright horrible. Yes, I saw UPS break out to those highs. It looked fantastic. But then when you look at a Boeing, you look at a Lockheed, um, there's just Triple M, Honeywell. They just don't act well. And, and so to me, I just do think that there is the rails and now you have the air freight. They're saying one thing, but there's a lot of other stocks in that group that don't act particularly well. Um, so to me, I would say the jury's still out. And I would also say that, you know, they're discounting a whole heck of a lot of good news that may or may not come in the back half of this year. But to Chris's point, I mean, you know, are they going down further? Are the valuations trending at levels that make sense for trough valuations? Possibly. So if you want to kind of play catch up in some of those names, that makes sense to me. All cogent points by Dan, Guy Dami. But uh, what do you think? As a great Regis Philbin, again, we miss Regis. Dan knows a lot, and we'll fire that at some point later in the show, I'm sure. But, you know, Chris mentioned the 180 level, and he mentions it for good reason, because that's where we failed back in November of last year, 2019. So it's a huge level into earnings on August 21st for John Deere. So you can go one of two ways here. You can take, you can take profits into the earnings number on the 21st, thinking there's a huge potential for a double top, or you could sort of go to the $100 table, roll the dice, and hope it breaks out. I think the prudent thing to do, given the move, is to take some money off the table and see what they say in a couple weeks. Coming up, who said anything about a retail wreck? We take a look at two names hitting all-time highs today. Plus, are you looking for a round peg in a square hole? Yep, that's a clue on what is ahead. Stick around for that trade. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Walmart dropping after hours on a report that its Amazon Prime competitor, Walmart Plus, would be delayed again. The launch of the $98 a year service slated to launch in July. So that stock is down 1%. There's a certain amount, Tim, um, of market cap added on the excitement surrounding this and almost a re-rating of Walmart uh, when it first announced this offer. Yeah, there, there, there sure was. I mean, I, I'd say there's certainly a 10% market cap uh, multiple uh, a premium thrown on top of Walmart. I, look, the, the fact that they're delaying this doesn't mean that they're changing their view on this and that they don't have the infrastructure to do this. And we've talked about, uh, while Amazon went out of their way for years to build out logistics, fulfillment, uh, ERP capabilities, Walmart on some level has that in place and always had that in place. This makes a ton of sense for Walmart. Their ability to actually use the, the, the same day delivery as the, the same kind of vehicle to drive higher ticket items, higher margin items, and frankly put a lot more pressure on the Costco's and the Targets, which who I know we're about to talk to, so uh, talk about. I, I think this this is a, a a headline that's not great after hours. This isn't devastating. They told you they weren't going to do this. That's fine. But if you think of the other initiatives that they've been doing, and they're foray into e-commerce, and and they've had different drivers. Some of them, whether it was Jet that we didn't really understand, but they it gave them some of the know-how and the mojo. Flipkart, which you know arguably isn't doing a lot for them, even though India is a great market. They are finally learning what to do in e-commerce. And frankly, it didn't happen yesterday. It's been happening over the last couple of years. That's why the multiple is going higher. Uh, and I think they are the dominant player in this space. All right, let's get to those two retail names topping the tape today. Check out Target and Costco, both hitting fresh all-time highs. Um, Dan flagged the move. So what do you make of this? 
Well, Costco, obviously, in front of tomorrow's July sales, um, June sales were um, a, a good, nice catalyst for the stock. It kind of got it going again a little bit after consolidation. I don't love the idea of buying a runaway breakout like this. Um, it's fully expecting good July results. Target's really interesting, though. This one, you know, kind of getting back to that prior high here, the most defensible um, valuation. Tim does bring up a great point when you think about some of the initiatives Walmart's trying to do um, with Walmart Prime. That's going to really way on Target, but I'd expect Target to continue to innovate here, so I like Target here. Would you rather rather guy, Dami? Walmart, Target, or Costco? Costco. And, you know, it's not, we're not pulling that out of a vacuum, and usually I sort of equivocate a little bit or try to, you know, buy some time, but Costco's been a monster. People will knock them on valuation. We've been talking about Costco for a long time on this show. Target's finally caught up, and rightly so. We've talked about how targeted with the discount they were trading to Walmart didn't make sense. But Costco sort of me makes the most sense out of the three. But, you know, would you rather, 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 rather? You throw Dollar Gen and Restoration Hardware into that mix, and then you got yourself a basket. And all those names, by the way, are names we've been steadfast in for a while. You've gone way off the grid with that one. I mean, way, way off. I mean, you cannot have five choices. That's just way too many choices. With that said, though, Chris, I'll throw it to you. I'll give you all those choices. All five of those choices, which chart do you like the best? I think Target's the best chart here. You know, it's really the only one that's going up and outperforming the S&P. And that's kind of the knock I have on Costco here. Costco's at new all-time highs, but it's actually not at new relative highs versus the S&P. So you're not getting paid to own it versus other stuff. Target you are. Target's breaking out of a three-year base. That's the best one of the bunch. All right, coming up, there is no denying the rally in this payment stock. So is it hip to be a square investor? Stick around because we'll swipe into the options market to see what is ahead as they report earnings tomorrow. Much more fast money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The earnings bonanza continues tomorrow. Payment processors square on deck to report, and options traders are betting the stock will ring up big gains on the results. Let's bring in Mike Coe with the options action. Mike, what are you seeing? Hi, Melissa. So Square is implying about an 8.8% move by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's a lot, but maybe not surprising given that it has averaged about 7.5% over the course of the last eight quarters. The bulls and bears were pretty evenly matched in today's volume, but the bulls just edged it out. The most active were the weekly 140 strike calls. Just under 5,000 of those traded for about $4.65. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock is going to be higher than that 140 strike price by the end of the week. That would be up around 145 or higher by week's end. So that would suggest that they're making some bullish bets coming out of earnings. Dan, what do you think of Square? You like it here? Well, first things first, I miss Mike Co. I haven't seen you in a long time, Michael. Aww. Great to see you. Um, listen, that stock, oh, that stock has been consolidating over the last month or so. So if you're going to make a bet on an upside breakout move, defining your risk with those calls makes a lot of sense to me because one hiccup in this name, um, you know, that's up 200 or something percent from those March lows, and you have a stock that's down materially greater than that implied move, in my opinion. I don't know if you miss Mike Co., Chris, but what do you think of the chart? I agree with Dan. I think this is a name that's been sideways for six weeks. It's a great long-term trend. Until it gives you a reason to sell it, you have to stay long. These uptrends stay in place, uh, and I think Square is the best example of that. All right. Mike, thank you, and I don't miss you because I see you on Fridays. Fridays is when the full show is. <laughs> Options action, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see you then. Up next, final trades.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Kodak dropping as much as 13% today after the SEC announced it is launching an investigation to some unusual trading activity in the stock just last week. Remember, this is a story that we highlighted uh, when the company got a government loan, uh, basically to turn into a pharmaceuticals company, a loan that was seven times its market cap prior to the announcement of that loan. Um, Guy Dami, just quickly on, on Kodak, the story just seems to keep on going. And it's not going to get any better in terms of some of the things that they uncover, is my sense. And we, talk, we talked about this, you know, a week and a half or so ago. And it just, you know, you, under, you, you wonder why people get upset. That's why they get upset, because things like that, you know, a stock that we didn't talk about for a myriad of reasons, not least of which the market cap being below, you know, $500 million, all of a sudden it's become relevant. Uh, it makes you sort of scratch your head. And I think in terms of the uh, headlines, the worst is yet to come. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Walmart, I, again, I think this is a multiple story when you talked about their, their single-day delivery. Stay with this on those headlines. I wouldn't worry about that. Dan. Yeah, I agree with the Walmart. Um, probably sees new highs soon. But I also agree with Verone on Target. I think this thing breaks out here. So I like Target. Verone. Deer, up through 180 to breakout. All right. And Guy. <laughs> Gold in the form of Newmont Mining. Gold above $2,000 for the first time today. Amazing, huh? Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with the one and only Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.